thanks for joining us. You're listening to Living Fountains with Pastor Jim Stewart of Calvary Chapel, Kansas City. Today, our study is in the book of 2 Samuel. If you're in a place where you can grab your Bible and follow along with us, we invite you to do so. And if you'd like more information on Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, you can visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. Now, let's join Pastor Jim for today's study. David now at 30 years old, obviously a key age, we see that as Jesus at 30 years old began his public ministry, you remember? The Levites, that was at the time when they believed that true maturity had set in and they would begin to uh, do uh, ministry in a more public fashion at that age. That's a very common point in time, kind of a point of reference. Now in verse 6 it says, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. Now the Jebusites are thought to be some of the original Canaanites, basically. They're thought to be that in, in the history, in the line of things. So the Jebusites... Some of the original Canaanites, remember, of the land that they had gone in. The inhabitants of the land, the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. Now, David wanted to go. He has his eyes on Jerusalem, wants to kind of take over Jerusalem. And they're saying, hey, listen, uh, it's not going to happen. Basically, this is an unpenetrable fortress environment, basically, is what they're saying to him. And you can try what you want and whatever you want, but we don't even need to guard this. We've got the lame and the blind guarding this for us. We're so confident in our fortress. Interesting. That's what they're saying. Now, to a guy like Dave, is like, wow, that's a free-for-all. That's a, come on, bring it on. You know, to him, that's a, you know, right, let's, let's go do it. You know, This is what he's thinking. Nevertheless, David took took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. So he, he still goes after it. Now David said on that day, whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, this, this uh, basically a, a very carnal people, uh, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul shall be chief and captain. Therefore, they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. This whole idea of this, this absurd concept that they're never, uh, it's not an impregnable, you can't, can't penetrate the city and all this. And he says, no, that's fine. You guys think that? And he's challenging whoever does this, whoever can go up there and take this over, you know, so he's got challenging his guys. You go and see what you can do with this. And it's kind of interesting. Ultimately, Joab does it. Joab ultimately is one of the guys that gets up in there and uh, finds a, a way in, basically, and goes up uh, this way of the uh, water shaft, finds a way in and, and attacks. So he says, you know, whoever does this, he shall be chief and captain. Whoever does this, he kind of gives them a, a, a challenge. Hey, whoever does this, man, you, you know, you're going to be one of the leaders. One of the things that you can notice in this is that there is some element of initiative. Basically, he's challenging the guys, find a way, figure it out, find a way, take the initiative. You know, I think this is an important aspect of, of ministry and of really serving the Lord and following the Lord. The Lord puts things out before us, but we, we really need to step out by faith and take the initiative. Find a way. 
you know, in, in certain things. Sometimes things are very difficult to see our way clear. It's not always perfectly laid out for us, and we have to find a way. And so he does that. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around him uh, from Milo and inward. And so David went on and became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. Certainly, the Lord continued to guide him and direct him. And it's really interesting that this stronghold of Zion, Jerusalem, is, and it's Zion, Old Testament, uh, its reference is to the people of God. It's not really just a place, but it's really the people of God. Interesting, in the New Testament, it's referred to in the sense of the church, the body of Christ. Interesting that we see that reference of Zion. Zion means sunny, sunshine, or shine upon. You know, that idea of just shining, God's favor shining upon his people, God's favor shining upon the church, his people, the church. It's not just a physical location, though that's part of the concept that's being shared. But the interesting thing is that particular place, originally when we've come across it, we find out before the Jebusites took over, this carnal group took over, before they cast out the one who was there, ruling there, who was it that used to rule there? Who was it that Abraham came, ran into and that he gave his offering, actually, his tithe to Melchizedek, ruler, king of Salem, or Zion, Jerusalem. And so he then was at some point removed from the scene, and who came in, and they rejected him. They rejected him, and who came in and, and was there? It was the... Uh, the Jebusites, this carnal, you know, hey, we, we were going to do it this way. They just, you know, up, totally opposite or opposed to God and God's purposes. Then Hiram, king of Tyre. This is just interesting stuff. This is just side notes to think through and contemplate. But Hiram, king of Tyre. Now, Hiram, is, this is a Gentile ruler. Sent messengers to David and cedar trees, and carpenters, and masons, and they built David a house. Interesting now, you've got these Gentile group that does see David for who he is, acknowledges him as the ruler, and really comes underneath him in that way. This is, how, this is what happened with the church, isn't it? The Gentiles now even can come in and have favor with God through one like in a type, David, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's radical. Man, the Bible is just laced with these simple little truths tucked away in there. They sent messengers to David and cedar trees, and they wanted to build this house for him. And so David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that he'd exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. I think it's interesting. Read that closely again with you. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted, God had exalted, his kingdom, God's kingdom, for the sake of God's people, Israel. Do you see how David's removed from that to some extent? He's just being, you know, a servant of God too. He knows that God has established him, David, as king 
over God's people that God had exalted his kingdom, his own kingdom, and that it was for the sake of God's people, Israel. And David took more uh, concubines and wives from, from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Also, more sons and daughters were born to David. And these are some of the names of his sons. Obviously, it would be a painful excursion for us to go through verse 14, 15, and 16. But they're all right there for you to read through. In verse 17, now again, we talked about this in a recent study. Obviously, this is not something uh, that God did not purpose for man to have multiple wives. This was not, but we know, as we see, David is far from perfect in his actions and stuff. And obviously, as time goes by, this gets weeded out from the scene, from God's people, as time goes by. And it's God's desire from the very beginning how it was to be one man and one woman. That was God's purpose in marriage. But he's obviously violating that a bit. Certainly not a perfect guy. Now, when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel. All the Philistines went up to search for David. Now, this isn't because they were thinking, hey, let's go get a latte together, you know. Let's, let's find David and let's go hang out with David. That's not what they're searching for him for, right? They're, they're searching for him. This is a searching for, and they wanted to make war with him. There's a battle that ensued. And David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Ritham. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, now this is important. This is really super important, these next few verses. David inquires of the Lord. There's a problem now between a, a constant group that they're warring with, and it's the Philistines. It's just like us. Constantly, there's the battle with, with the enemy that's out there. I mean, you know, there's no doubt. That it's, it's an ongoing thing that we are engaged as Christians in a battle with our flesh with our world that's controlled really by Satan at this point in time and demonic forces, Satan and, and demonic forces. Those are our battle zones. Our own flesh is a battle zone. The world that's controlled in that sense by Satan, ultimately we know who's in control of it, and then also then the demonic forces themselves. Okay, These are our, our areas of battle. But they come against uh, Rephaim. They come against David, David then makes inquiry of the Lord. He seeks guidance from God. Shall I go up against the Philistines? Not only will shall I go up against them, but he's clear. Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. Okay, fair enough. That's great. Awesome. So David went up to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there, and he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of that place Baal-perazim, or basically the, the breach of waters. You know, it's like, it's like knocking out a, a, little reserve, a little dam and just the water just flows right through. You know, it just breaks through. It's just this gushing, basically. And they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. So, no doubt this is a radical victory. How many of you know it's like, man, you experience this great victory in some area of your journey with the Lord. There's this victory. And you feel like, oh, praise God, man, I got victory over this situation. The Lord's given me a victory. And it's wonderful. It's exciting, no doubt. The battle, you get this little victory. 
But man, you've got to know that verse 22 is coming after verse 21, right? You've got to know that. You get this great victory, but you've got to know verse 22 follows verse 21. Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephim. They, they, they're back at it. They're ready to go at it. As soon as you get one battle taken care of, one victory, do not sit back and think, oh, thank God that's all over with. I'm not going to have to deal, deal with that ever again. No, not likely. The battle is going to ensue. The enemy is, is relentless. This side of eternity, it is relentless. This is, this is why we need to gather like this. So we can be replenished, refueled, rejuvenated in our journey with the Lord. So we can be reassured. Oh, okay, I'm not alone. Gosh, I, I was doing okay and now I'm bombarded again. Well, good, we're all in this together. And this is part of the reality and so important. And I commend you for getting together this evening and spending time in God's word, seeking the Lord, because this is so helpful. The battle rages again. It starts back up. Something really important happens in verse 23. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord. This is significant. Why? Because David is in the exact same spot, just like you were three weeks ago, two days ago, an hour ago. Whatever battle line got drawn, and you had this victory, and then all of a sudden, you're back at it. And it lines up just the same as the one you were in the week before, or last year, or last month, last week, yesterday. The battle lines there, and all of a sudden you're back in. It's the same. And you know what the tendency is? Oh, well, we got victory last time, didn't we, Lord? I will just, I'm just going to go ahead, and I'm going to do just the same as what you had me do last time. That's a dangerous spot. That's a dangerous spot. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your, you know, acknowledge the Lord in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. Lean not to your own understanding. Even though God showed him how to deal with that situation, look at what David, wow, what a smart guy. The enemy's return, it's lined up the same as it was before. And David inquired of the Lord in verse 23. And he said, the Lord says to him, you shall not go up. No, don't do like you did last time. Don't do it that way. This time, circle around behind them and come up from the front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of the marching of the troops, of the, of the troop, of the tops, when you hear the marching of the tops of the mulberry trees, so you hear the wind rustle, you know, something rustling in the top of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly, for the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. That God's the one that brings the victory, not you, not your warring, not your approach. God led you last time to do it this way. This time he may say do it that way. Why? Why isn't it just repetitiously the same, the same, the same? Why? God desires for you and for me to simply rely upon him. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't do it. It's all of that information, and now you think you don't need him. Oh, I, I've graduated. I know what to do with that. When people come to me and talk to me and stuff, and I, I tell them, I tell them, you know, I'm, not, I'm not really not sure what to do. And they look at me like I'm, I'm foolish or something. 
And you know what? I'm smiling the whole time. Because I don't, I, don't, I don't know what to do. Because every situation is different. There's similarities. We can certainly learn things as we go. Absolutely. But man, I never want to stop being reliant upon the Lord. David really shows us a powerful, because, because if we don't, we become presumptuous. We assume and or presume that it would always be the same plan as last time. And that assumption can lead to defeat because it wasn't reliant upon God. It was reliant upon what you think you know or I think I know. God doesn't want that. Hey, this time we're going to rustle the mulberry trees. Well, okay. That makes no sense to me at all. But that's cool, God. That's where you want to do it. Who cares? We're going to look pretty stupid marching around, you know, the city wall with just our land, you know, our, our, these little vessels, you know. It's going to seem kind of lame, you know. Seems kind of dumb, you know. March around the thing seven times. How many days are we going to do that? You sure? Who cares? What do you really care? What do I care? If that's what God wants to do, great. Sounds like the right thing to do. David was so smart in making inquiry to find out how God wanted to handle that situation. God wants us simply stated to seek him. God wants you, God wants me, not to become self-reliant in our relationship with the Lord, but continue to grow in our reliance upon him, his guidance, his direction. I can't tell you the number of times I've made the mistake of not making an inquiry, but just thinking the other and assuming. And it, oh man, it always turns out bad. And I'm thinking, what went wrong? You know, last time, Lord, I, I'm, I'm trying to learn this. Last time we did this. But see, it's this reliance upon a relationship, a spirit-led life where God is guiding, God is directing. He's the one leading. You and I, we want, we, give me the playbook, just the exact map of how this all, God just, God wants you to ask. God wants you and me to inquire. It's based on relationship and interaction together. It's, it's, it's just that way. That's the way dad wants to do it. Fair enough. This is my father's world. Right? This is his. He created it. He created you. He created me. He, made, he has every right to want and desire that. So, Let's get into something that gets really interesting in this next chapter. In this next chapter, when we're done with this next chapter, we'll be done tonight. But this is good stuff in chapter 6. Good stuff we've had so far, some more good stuff in chapter 6. God has designed us in a way that all of humanity was originally designed to walk in the garden and to have fellowship with God. Correct? There's no, no disputing that as believers. We agree that from the very beginning... The design of humanity was to have direct fellowship, to enjoy the presence of the Lord. They walked in the cool of the day in the garden with the Father, right? That was the design. That's what God wants to do with us. Walk with us, have fellowship with us, interact with us, for us to experience his presence. That's what God desires, for us to enjoy and experience that. When we come to the Lord... The Spirit comes and dwells within us, and I think it even creates a deeper longing inside of us for just that and more of that because it's Him inside of us yearning 
for more of that kind of constant contact and fellowship. Prior to coming to the Lord, we were seeking out because something was missing, because we were desirous of that. We, we, we know something's not there because we're designed as humanity to, to, to want fellowship with God. The weightiness, the presence of the Lord. David, as he, again, David gathered in verse 1 of chapter 6, all the choice men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, commander of all the forces of the universe. Whenever you see that, the Lord of hosts means commander of all the forces of the universe, who dwells between the cherubim. You remember? Angelic beings between the wings of the cherubim, and there, there above the mercy seat is where the very presence of God dwelt. And what is the presence of God? The, the glory of God. We use that term. That's what the presence of God, the glory of God. It's the kabod. That's what is the, uh, the, that particular word is the kabod, the glory, the kabod, the presence of God. But that word really gives, it means weight, substance, and really brings about this sense of meaning. And that's what we're looking for, a sense of weight or substance or something of significance, something of meaning in our lives. That, that's, that's what we, we long for that, we look for that as believers, as non-believers. People are looking for that. The ark represents that because the presence of the Lord dwelt between the wings of the cherubim. Remember the kabod, the glory of God. You remember it would, it would descend upon that and it fill the, his presence would fill the temple. It, it's, it's, it's a wonderful, miraculous, glorious concept. This is where the blood would be sprinkled. The sacrificial blood would be sprinkled on the mercy seat behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies, where the very presence of God dwelt. Now, from the time that Jesus came, he walked the earth, he, he took our sin upon the cross, he died, crucified, resurrected, right? And at the time of the resurrection, the, the curtain breaks in two, it's torn, and now there's this direct access into the presence of God through the person of Jesus Christ. That's our access, with this direct access into God's presence. At this time, the ark represented that. Thank you for tuning in today and for listening to the radio program for listening to God's Word. And I know God has a perfect plan for your life, and it starts, really, by giving our hearts to the Lord. If you've not given your heart to the Lord, or you're just in a place where you're, you, you have a sense that you're distant from God, and you just want to open your life up to the Lord, you know, the Word says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God.
for he will abundantly pardon. Isn't that great to know that we have a God that's full of grace and mercy, that he's willing to pardon all of our sin, to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. It's a simple prayer just to give your life to Jesus. Man, all things become new when we give our lives to the Lord. If you just pray this simple prayer along with me, Jesus, I want to open my heart up to you. I want to ask that you would forgive me of my sin, my unrighteousness, that you would pardon me. I thank you so much for that grace and mercy that you've shown me. Lord, thank you for the love that put you on the cross, that you did that willingly for me. And Lord, again, I I just open my heart to you. I receive you as my personal Lord and my Savior. And I thank you for that free gift of everlasting life that you've given me. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed and received the Lord into your heart today, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us or another Bible teaching church in your area so you may be encouraged in your new journey. If you'd like more information about Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, simply visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. And if you're social media savvy, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash calvarychapelkc. Also, Living Fountains podcasts are available in the iTunes store now, and you can download them at no cost. If you're in the Kansas City area and you'd like to join us for worship, we meet in Overland Park on Sunday mornings. The service times and directions can be found at calvarychapelkc.com, or you can simply contact the church office at 913-681-1635. It's been great spending time with you today in God's Word, and we look forward to you joining us next time on Living Fountains.